Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Wisden World Cup Daily Podcast. New Zealand have been hammered by South Africa by 190 runs. It's New Zealand's second biggest World Cup defeat, and it's a result that will be celebrated on the streets of Karachi as well as Cape Town, bringing Pakistan firmly back into semi-final contention. I'm joined by Phil Walker and Katia Whitney. Katia, before we get to what that result means for the competition, should we start with the game itself? I mean, in a way it was business as usual for South Africa, but that's sort of remarkable in and of itself, I mean, hundreds for De Kock and Razvan Adusson, seven wickets between Mark Janssen and Keshav Maharaj. They're some team, aren't they? Yeah, they're brilliant, aren't they? I mean, unless they're losing some medals, they're brilliant. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, they're, they're really good. And, you know, having been one of the teams to pretty much qualify for the semifinals, right? Yeah, not quite. We'll, we'll get on to semifinal stuff later. But yeah, they and India have six wins, which will almost certainly be enough, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we've said it before on this podcast, like coming into the tournament, I don't think anyone really knew what to expect from South Africa, um, especially with Snorkia injured. Um, but they've come in and, and smashed it out of the park, really. Um, and the fact that we've now got teams saying, you know, don't let them bat first, that's quite a quite an indictment on what they've managed to achieve, that there's now teams having to have this plan against them to stop De Kock scoring runs, to stop Van der Dusen and Mark Krum and Klaassen and Miller and those endless lists of names from taking them apart. Um, and as we saw today, like the criticism of them has been that they're a bit more suspect with the ball, but they just blew away one of the teams at the start of the tournament. We were saying we're going to win it. We were saying it was between potentially India and New Zealand and they've blown them away by 190 runs. So it's quite some result. And and like you say, they, they are quite some team. Mm. Phil, to call, again, it's not new, but he's having an incredible tournament. I mean, four hundreds now. That's matched by only Sangakara and Rohit Sharma. Uh, he's crossed six hundred runs, uh, and you know he's going to be done in what four games time at most. Which is, it's a bit of a shame, but I guess you know sort of enjoy him while we can, I suppose. So four in a whole tournament—that's the record, right? So the Sangakara did it. Oh, okay. Rohit got five in twenty nineteen. Did he? Yeah. Bloody hell. And so Rohit's got seven or eight in total? How many has he got this time? One or two? Yeah, okay. So five seven. is the tournament record. Sangakara made four in 07. No, four in 2015. He got four in four games. Sorry, 2015, of course. Yeah, okay. Four in four games. Well batted. Yeah. If you're interested, it's four other players who made three um, in a single edition of the tournament. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll come back to that because nothing comes to mind immediately. Anyway. Um, yeah, he's, he's a funny one, isn't he, Decock? And he was interviewed afterwards, and mm. he's he's utterly unmoved by by the, the seismic things that happen around him. Uh, they they always say about him that he'd rather just be fishing than doing anything else. That he's become this sort of icon of the game almost by accident, really. Uh, but as a player to watch, he's as good as they come. That pickup shot he has, where he swivels his whole body round almost three hundred and six, was two hundred and seventy degrees, and he can pick anything up that's on that line. 
that pitches slightly outside his leg stump, slightly outside the eye line, and whether it's a good length ball or even a fuller than that ball or whether it's a bouncer, he will hook and pick up everything. His eye is as good as anyone who's played the game in, in this century. He's as good as that as a ball striker. He's always played quite selflessly, I thought, for South Africa. Mm-hmm. So he's always been a kind of a dream white ball opener in, in that he's never going to be a dud. He might miss out sometimes. But what he's, he's married up this tournament is all of that flair and selflessness with a sort of grinding, uh, unstoppable accumulation as well, right? So he's, he's 120 clear of the next best run scorer in the tournament. Um, and as I say, it appears totally unbothered by it. Mm. And I guess he suggested that maybe the fact that he's not got money left is just sharpened his concentration that little bit, that he's maybe just pruned out that that old airy shot he had. And, and I thought today, especially like, it was hard to tell how good South Africa's total was in a way, because, you know, we expect South Africa, if they're, you know, two down with what five overs left to be pushing up towards the properly record-breaking stuff. And they, you know, they still made a very big total today, but you're sort of thinking like, oh, maybe New Zealand are in it and it ends up being lows. And I guess that's because of how those two uh, judge the situation. But they've, they've passed 350 three times, definitely four times, maybe. Yeah, I think it's eight times this year as well. Right. Yeah. So, so they so they have their model, mm. and from now on, assuming that you know they are in the semi-finals, whoever wins the toss against them will only really have one option. You would think, right? Look, looking at the way that the tournament has played out, obviously England made the slightly eccentric decision of of putting them in, uh, putting themselves in first anyway. Uh, but yeah, th- that model that they've got is relentless and while they've been defined by the bat so far, they've got a really brilliant varied bowling attack, right? Mm. You know, they've got a left arm quick, they've got two right arm proper quicks. Kurt Seer is fast. Rabada's a champion. They've got a really good left arm spinner who turned it vastly today for his three-fur. It's just a really, really good, basically complete cricket team um, with identifiable bits to it, you know, Um so they seem to have the answers to whatever you throw at them, really. And they've got a reserve spinner in Shams who's really useful as well. So it's all gearing up to get thrashed in the semi-finals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's just touch on the toss decision because New Zealand also uh, put South Africa into bat. What do you make of that, Katia? Um, I can see it from both sides, but I think in, I mean, hindsight is great, right? But it seemed like the wrong decision right from the outset. I mean, you mentioned that that England thing today had echoes of slightly less disastrous, but that England decision with Latham putting South Africa into bat and then them losing one of their seamers halfway through the first innings and having to find overs from somewhere and getting absolutely smashed. Um, I have to say, I didn't know that they put them in today. I can't believe that. <laughs> I, I missed the first half hour of the game. I can't believe that that, was, that happened. Wow. Um, right. So, so they clearly want, they were worried about the G, right? That was the reason Latham, was that the reason Latham gave or he said it was going to be a good pitch? Yeah, I think, I think, I think the Jew chasing under lights and stuff, I guess it's one of those where they, they've backed themselves to just be better at the things rather than worrying too much about, oh, they're really good at this things. So we've got to not let them do it. But then they got very close against Australia chasing, mm-hmm. but then they also gave up 380 in the first place. Yeah. You can. I understand the argument that Latham was making and that you've made about um, you back yourself to be good enough and you think what you want to do. But surely when you go, when you think about a toss, you think about two things. You think, what do we want to do? And what do the opposition least want to do? Yeah. And then if those two things are different outcomes, you think, right, what is probably going to have the, most, the, the biggest outcome on this game? And on current form, South Africa have struggled twice while chasing, right? They've, they lost against the Netherlands and then they almost lost against Pakistan. 
yet when they've been put into bat every single time they've made absolutely massive scores so whilst the dew could be a factor if a couple slip out your hands when you're bowling it doesn't really matter if they're defending 360 right mm -hmm. so surely the correct decision was to put South Africa in first and force them to chase and force them to do something that they've not looked comfortable doing so far in the tournament. So, so I, I can see the logic behind the decision, but I, I don't think that logic matches up to what the correct decision could have been. Bang on. It's logic uh, shot through with hubris, isn't it, really? And, and a lot of teams in this tournament, I think a lot of modern cricket, especially male cricket, is, is, is a commitment to the bit to use that modern phrase, you know, this this is the way we do it. And to hell with cutting corners or, or balancing that against what the other side are thinking or wanting to do. But that that's a dangerous place to get to, you know, we've seen it with the England side. Um, New Zealand dropped one there for me, to say the least. Mm. Um, let's, anyway. Well, we just talked about a bit more about them because they've now lost three on the trot. And while the first two were close defeats against very good teams. This was a real thrashing still against a very good team. And just as boring as the form is the fitness. So Williamson, Ferguson and Chapman were all not available for this game. Uh, they were all touch and go, but they were all not available, I think. Uh, and then Matt Henry and Jimmy Neesham. So Matt Henry limps off halfway through and over with what looks like a hamstring injury, came out to bat, but that could be his tournament done. Jimmy Neesham got hit on the thumb and came, came in lower down the order. So... They actually don't have 11 fit cricketers right now, which is a bit of an issue considering they play again in, what, three days time, Katia? Yeah, I mean, it, it's worrying, right? But the, the players who weren't available today, as you said, touch and go, I understand William, Williams, William, Williamson should be fit, I think, for the next game. Potentially. That's what they said. They yeah. thought that would be the case. Ferguson as well. So it's not potentially quite as worrying as it sounds when you say they don't currently have 11 fit cricketers. Um, One thing on Hen Henry though, he looked cropped he, yeah. at the end. He he looked like his tournament was done, right? So mm. it was a hamstring. You, yeah. yeah, exactly. And he couldn't really move batting at 11. Mm -hmm. a little bit grim. So, so Sorry, presumably um, the big lad, Jameson is, is at the airport, right? Presumably, right? He, he gets called up. I guess because if if, if someone yeah. twangs a hamstring, then they're done. Yeah, yeah the, they've yeah. got potentially five games to play yet, or four games to play yet. Mm -hmm. And he would have been touch and go to get in the squad in the first place, right? So. Yeah, I, I think the thing is for New Zealand, the players they've got to come back in are, are gun players, right? So right. they've got Williamson to come back in, they've got Ferguson to come back in, excluding Henry. So it potentially is good news for them coming back in that they, you know, they haven't been ruled out of the tournament. So New Zealand have still got these reserves they can call upon. So while they've now lost, is it three games on the trot? That's without the core of the best players in their squad, aside from like Bolt and those kinds of people. So it's not as dire as it sounds when you say 11, yeah. not 11 players. Yeah, I guess. It, it sounds like a lunk-headedly obvious thing to say, but they really need Williamson back mm -hmm. because... Uh, Conway, who started well, has gone off the boil a little bit. Um, Will Young isn't really established as a top order 50 over player. And Ravindra is is a marvel and one of the best young players to watch around. But you can't expect him to do it all the time. He's already overachieved for what they were expecting, let alone the rest of the world. So they are gasping for Williamson to come back and in the pressure cooker of the last couple of weeks of this thing. Uh, he'll be absolutely essential to them. Um, more so now than he would have been at the start. Obviously, he missed initially and then got another injury. So, yeah, if he is back for, for the big one, then 
that'd be huge for them. Mm. Uh, Adam Milne is the other quick that they could call up, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. Um, but let, let's move on to, because that, that game on Saturday is not just any game, it's against Pakistan. Let's discuss what it means for the competition. So just quickly, you've got South Africa and India on six wins, barring something ridiculous, they're basically through. Uh, Australia and New Zealand each have four wins, so need one or maybe two more each. Um, Australia have the two bottom teams to face, England and Bangladesh, as well as Afghanistan, so they're pretty well placed. But New Zealand now have might need to win two of their games and against Pakistan and Sri Lanka, two teams who have shown they can uh, they can beat good teams in this tournament. Um, and especially if they lose that first game against Pakistan, then you have Pakistan and New Zealand will be level on points heading into the final round of fixtures. And New Zealand's net run rate is no longer out of reach because of how badly they got beaten today. It's something like Pakistan win that by about 85 runs with about 14 overs to spare. That's a big, big, really big win, but not out of the question. Then Pakistan's run rate will just nudge above New Zealand's heading into that final round of fixtures. And then also there's more grounds to be made up because Pakistan play England, so they can, you know, maybe make up a bit more there. Um, it's a so semi-final, is, race, is, isn't is it? That, is, sorry, the specifics of that then. So it's an 80-odd run or 14 overs yeah. chase within fo- with 14 overs left. Yeah. So a 36 over chase, in effect. It changes a bit depending on how many Pakistan defend if it's 85 runs, that makes sense, or how yeah, many yeah. they chase if it's yeah, that. Okay. But yeah. um, well, that final partnership for the 10th wicket, mm. pointless in the context of the game. Well, that's why Henry was batting, yeah. Yeah, Henry finished not not out on one leg. But Glenn Phillips, so they came together 133 and they put on 34 for that final wicket, right? Mm-hmm. So if it's as straightforward as I think, that that aids them by... 34 runs when it comes to Pakistan effectively yeah I think maybe by 17 runs because oh yeah Pakistan's win it's like sure yes but but even so if you're looking at it from a Pakistan perspective you'd be kicking yourself at the end there because you're thinking right we are right in this you know if they get rumbled for 130 Mm. as it was 167 it's a slightly trickier scenario for them obviously then the key thing about all of this if you're talking about those two though is that Pakistan beat them even by a run and even if New Zealand go and beat Sri Lanka in their final game, Pakistan play England after that game. Mm-hmm. So they will know if they need to go wild or if they can play relatively conservative cricket and just get the win. Obviously, if New Zealand lose to Sri Lanka, then it opens itself up beautifully for Pakistan. And the echoes of 92 are uncanny. You know, uh, Obviously... It would be brutally harsh on New Zealand who have really adorned this World Cup and started it so well. But there is the the voice in the back of my head sort of willing on Pakistan, right, to get this done because of the drama. You imagine you imagine a semi-final with them who have already turned over their whole system and questions in Parliament and resignations and public letters of apology and all the rest of it and Inzaman gets dragged into it and they drop their both their openers and bring back one of them and Baba's been castigated in the press. And then if they somehow stumble into the semis and you know they're going to play, yeah. they'll play the top team. Oh man, it would just be spectacular. So, so what would Afghanistan need to qualify? Because they've, they've got a game in hand over New Zealand and Pakistan, mm. right? I haven't mentioned them yet. So, so actually they kind of have it in their own hands almost. And that if they win three, they'll be on uh, on six wins. And as said, that should be enough. Um, two of those games are against uh, Australia and South Africa. So two tough games, but equally 
you have a chance to take off points off, especially in Australia, a team who you will be challenging for that spot. So they're not, they're, they're not out of it by any means. They're very much in the hunt. Um, I they're, guess. On, they're on six points. Uh, yes, yeah. So if they were to win their three games, they're through. They're yeah, through, yeah. right? Their net run rate is not certainly, great, yeah. right? Their net run rate is worse than Pakistan, than everyone above them. So surely that that's going to come into it. Yeah, so because Australia can get up to to, uh, to six wins by just beating England and Bangladesh. Okay. So even then, if Afghanistan win all three games, they'd be tied on six wins with three teams and would need a bit of a net run rate boost so but it's obviously going to boost by definition if you win your next three games sure yeah yeah um, intriguing so, yeah. so su- suddenly this 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 thing is alive yeah I, th- I think yeah there is still a chance that in about five days it all feels quite dead again say but look we're say, into month two yes that's true count our blessings folks <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um it's quite funny uh santos kumar asked uh about the future of the 50 over format with more and more one-sided games happening in the world cup We've talked a fair bit about that before, so I don't want to get into it again. But it is quite funny that now that we want a close World Cup, we no longer want close games because uh, <laughs> we want teams to make up net run rate and all that sort of thing. <laughs> um, uh, just quickly looking at tomorrow, we haven't yet discussed Sri Lanka, who are level on points with Pakistan, but play India next. Uh, Cathy, do you give them much of a chance in that game? Um, oh, no. Um, you, you, you'd want them to mm-hmm. for, for drama. Um, but probably, probably not. I mean, India haven't got Hardik still, right? Um, but you can argue that actually strengthens their bowling lineup with the bowlers that they then included. So probably not. Um, but it, it's kind of a bit of a dead fixture now. India are pretty much through though, right? And Sri Lanka are pretty much out. Well, if, if Sri Lanka win it, they'll, they, they're not very much okay. out because, because they will play New Zealand last. Um, so they it would be in a similar position to Pakistan in a way if they, one tomorrow but that means they have to win tomorrow so. well you never know angelo and, and, matthews could rip through him again and yeah. you know we could have we could have another story on our hands so, yeah their net run rate isn't great either mm-hmm. sri lanka yeah uh, so pakistan's is superior comfortably superior to sri lanka's at the minute mm-hmm. nonetheless you, know, you, you never know three from three you, you feel like with india obviously the most complete team in the tournament and the most consistent team in the tournament um and everyone's favourites for obvious reasons. But they've also got away with one or two in that, you know, they were they were bundled out by England, but then England managed to bundle themselves out after that. They were two for three in the first weekend against Australia and held that together. One or two drop catches could have been a very different story. That game against New Zealand, uh, right. they needed, what, 80-odd with four weeks in hand? So if one of, was it Jadeja or Cody falls then it's back in yeah. the balance sort of thing yeah yeah, and even just on the balance of probabilities it's, it's a big ask to win all nine of your games mm-hmm. um, you know, a little bit of luck here and there you know a couple of drop catches a couple of screamers uh, I, and Sri Lanka have been quite a quite a mercurial team in this tournament they've played some really good cricket uh, here and there mm-hmm. so yeah look obviously India go into it as, as the likeliest but but you never know Um it should be quite a good game of cricket, really. Uh, but then you can't keep your eyes off the Pakistan-New Zealand game, really. That, that to me, is, is the one. And, and, and again, Australia-Afghanistan, you know, that's the beauty of a, of a fixture when that comes around as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't think everyone was expecting that we'd still be talking with great relish and enthusiasm about the latter stages of this group stage, but, but we are. Mm. 
Um, well, that does it for a slightly extended part one. We'll be back in part two just to do a little bit of England stuff. Oh. Elsewhere in the World Cup today, David Willey has announced his retirement from international cricket, which he'll do at the end of the tournament. So he'll be available for England's next few games. Uh, Phil, it seems as if this is at least partly because of the central contract stuff. So these were announced during the World Cup eight days ago. I think it's 29 England players that have got contracts, but none of them are David Willey. Uh, he's the only player in the World Cup to not get a contract. I think he's only actually ever had one contract, even though he's been in England cricket for eight years. Like he's been in the top 20 or so white ball cricketers in England since he debuted. Like that seems like fair, but he's always sort of been fighting for his place or proving something to someone. But Phil, over 100 games for England playing in a World Cup final. Uh, he might actually have been close to player of the match in that final if it weren't for Stokes and, and Brathwaite. Uh, he's had a career he can be pretty proud of, hasn't he? Yeah, and he can have a few weeks that he can be proud of as well. You know, he's been probably the most the standout seamer for England. Uh, top of the batting average as well, is he? Mm. Yeah, look, wholehearted cricketer, underrated cricketer, underrated um, by the by the England management. <laughs> it would seem mm. uh, this is one of the the um, the motifs of this disaster for England: uh, the fact that one of your stick-on players. Uh, not over, not only is overlooked, it must be so embarrassing, humiliating for him. You imagine being in that room, in that team room that night. How many, what do you get? Oh, I've got a two year, three year, one year. Oh, fuck all. You imagine that. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a glimpse into how badly it's been run. Uh, and he has clearly felt, well, I need to make, make my point. And so the nature of what, what is said in those words is is secondary to the the timing at which those words are released, um, and he understandably, I suppose, has said, "Well, you can stuff it then." Mm. You know, this is this is reflective of how the atmosphere must be in this team. As Yaz said a few days ago, it feels like an Ashes tour, a classic Ashes tour, where the walls cave in on you, um, and. His intervention in the last last twenty four hours is 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 consistent with that, really. How do, what what do you see in it, Katia? Pretty pretty much what what you see. Like it, it was coming when he didn't. As soon as he didn't get that central contract, then that was the only real option, right? Because he's a cricketer of a certain age with franchise deals that he can take advantage of, um, and not been awarded a contract by the country that he's playing for in a World Cup defence. So there doesn't really seem any way back from that after that. Um, and it is the like final piece in the place of a proper England meltdown on a tour, right? Like mm. you were saying, it's not quite mm. Graham Swan 2013 levels because he's going to play out the rest of the tournament, um, but it, it's getting there. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, there, there was never really an, any other outcome, but it, it is a public kind of humiliation for someone who has played a lot and done a lot for England and been one of their key players in, in several tournaments. It, it doesn't quite sit right, I don't think, that that's the way he's kind of been almost forced out. Because he wasn't going to play much white ball cricket. I guess. He might have made the T20 World Cup, but he wasn't going to play much white ball cricket after this. But to have a kind of public shaming force out kind of thing, that that's not the way you really want to see him go. So it does leave a bit of a bitter taste in your mouth when yeah. it comes to David. I, I, hope, I hope he doesn't regret it. In the end, I hope that this isn't a decision that he's reached purely on emotion mm -hmm. because there is a T20 World Cup next year, as you say, and he would very possibly be a part of that. Uh, and I hope when the dust settles on it all, 
he's he's at ease with his, with the decision that he's made, you know. Yeah. Um, but I can totally see financially as well because it's not... Oh, for sure, financially, but, of course. It's, it's not just not having the contract. It's not just the fact that you have to give up White Wall Deers. It's the fact that he would have felt so strongly what it's been like financially to be a fringe England player. Like if you go on tour, sure, you might you get a tour fee. But if you're sitting on the bench, you're not getting the, the match fees in the same way. Uh, and then if you're also not got the contract, you also don't have that just ticking over in the background as well versus like, so, you know, if, if he if he wants to stay available for selection and then he's going on some, you know, some awful white ball tours when other players are, you know, resting themselves, or whatever, and then he's going and not playing or playing one or two games. And for that, he's missing these, because he's he'll be a really valuable cricketer in like, not, I guess not the IPL, but say the SA20, like he'll be a, a dynamite pickup there. Um, and, and yeah, I, I I totally get it as much as it is. Uh, but, but but you could have maintained an involvement with the England T20 side possibly, without yeah. impinging too much on these the, the, these kind of independent uh, forays that you talk about, right? And yeah, look, you know, he's probably at peace with it, I would imagine. But I hope that it's not a decision that he later comes to think, ah, oh, you know, I wish I hadn't wish I hadn't pulled the trigger. Always I'm retire. That's, uh, <laughs> that's well, what you can do if, these days. If you're yeah. certain people who, who exist on your own moral and ethical plane, then you can do what you like. Yeah. I have to say, David Willey at 50 over World Cups, what, left out of the last one at the last minute for Jofra Archer and then retiring halfway through the next one. It, it's not It's not been a happy World Cup career, has it, for David no. Willey? No. Um, and then the, the other two England uh, headlines, Morgan has ruled himself out of taking over Matthew Motter's head coach, as some people suggested England should choose to do i don't know if that's too surprising or not there's no flies um, on this boy yeah uh, and you want to uh phil talk about mark wood who spoke to the bbc today defending matthew mott who had come in for quite a bit of criticism um and he was saying like no the players have got to take some of the blame and you felt that that might have been not just to defend mott but maybe to do some other things i suppose yeah yeah it, it just struck me that with him making clear that this that them as players have the best possible set of circumstances to to perform. They have a backroom staff that's the envy of everybody. They are given great agency and over their own stories, their own careers. Uh, and he was making it quite clear, and it came across as totally sincere, that there are no excuses here. Um, and it seemed to to me that he was messaging his own teammates as much as anything else and making making a point that any rumblings in the background about the schedule for example as we've heard from one or two players across the tournament or the conditions or any of these external factors and then of course it's easy for people to end up looking at the poor bloke in with the baseball glove um as a sort of suitable uh, scapegoat for the whole thing. Wood was clearly saying, indicating not just to, to us lot, but to his own team, we don't have any excuses here and don't hide behind any excuses. Don't blame any external factors because we've got everything in our in our favour here um, and there is no, there's no justification to pin it on any, anyone else except yourselves. It was quite refreshing to hear that, I thought. Mm-hmm. Well, that is all for today. We'll be back tomorrow after that Indy Sri Lanka game when we might just have our first fully confirmed semi-finalist of the World Cup. Thanks a lot for listening.
Social Podcast Network.